Blessings to you. It's great to have you a part of Crossroads Church this morning online. Blessings to you. We welcome you. It is our privilege to have the opportunity to join with you, come into your home as it were, or maybe in your car, I'm not sure where. I hope that if you're in your car, you're not watching, you're just listening. So anyway, great to have you with us today. Blessings to you and to your family. Just a couple of things before we move into our uh, our series, or continuing in our series, I should say, Joy Regardless. Uh, each, each Tuesday and each Thursday, we do a video that just gives you a little bit more information about the things that are going on, all things Crossroads Church related, maybe is the best way to say it. Uh, Newsday Tuesday, that's what Tuesday is. And I just share a little bit of upcoming uh, events, uh, some thoughts, maybe there's some changes that are happening in regards to, you know, the pandemic, et cetera, all of those things. I try to bring that as up to date as I can be. And then on Thursday, I take just a few minutes and give you some encouragement from the Word of God. And each of those, I'm trying to get them right around four to five minutes. So it's not a long time, but it keeps us informed and keeps us connected. So join with us. And how do you do that? You do that on YouTube. You're already on YouTube this morning if you're watching us. Maybe you're seeing us on Facebook, which is fine, because we make sure that's shared to Facebook. Whichever venue, or rather whichever uh, medium you may be watching us, you'll be able to find us. But I want to strongly encourage you, if you haven't already, to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And when you do that, hit that notification bell. That way you're aware when we go live with videos during the course of the week. Also follow us on social media. All of those platforms are available. We're, we're producing a, a, some really, really great content. I'm not saying that because I'm doing it. We've got a great team of people that are just on top of this doing a great job. Some really encouraging things and some opportunities to connect. And then finally... On my Facebook page, I am doing prayer every morning at 714. I want to cordially invite you to be a part of that. And so, so friend me, friend me, and I'll make sure that you uh, are, are connected by way of friendship there. But also, we immediately share that to the Crossroads Facebook page. So that's another way that you can connect with us. I, I just uh, These are such great, great tools that God has made available to us. And we can use it to stay connected. So please do that. Take advantage of all of those opportunities. Well, we continue in our series today from the book of Philippians. And we titled the series, Joy Regardless. Now, let me just kind of bring us back up to speed, as it were. Uh, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to Philippi, is in jail. So you would think that being in jail is probably not the best way to have joy, and I think we would all agree to that. But throughout this letter, joy just continues to roll through literally verse after verse after verse. It really is the theme of this letter. And so we've been talking about joy regardless. Joy in the midst of circumstances beyond our control. And man, can we relate to that. Because we are in the midst of things that are beyond our control. But God is with us. And God provides for us joy. In a little over a month, I'm going to celebrate or, I don't know, mourn, I'm not sure which, one of those very significant birthdays. I know, man, it's hard to believe that I'm turning 40. I, I can't, I just can't believe it. I never thought I'd make it to 40, but here I am. Say, so, yeah, right. Nice try, buddy. That doesn't work. 
40, 40 was a few years ago. I'll just say that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, I'm coming up on one of those birthdays. Well, and you say, well, okay, okay, why is that significant? Well, I want you to remember my birthday, of course. No, I'm teasing. That's not why. I grew up as a, a preacher's kid, a PK, as many of you may know. And one of the things that became very very obvious early on and really has now continued through all of these years of ministry is I have seen and experienced so many different things church-related. Most of it has been really good. Okay, I'm just going to say most of it has been really good. But some of it, I'm not going to say it's been bad, but I'm going to say it this way. I've had my fair share of, you've got to be kidding me. That's that's what you're upset about? That's what's causing this disagreement? I'm telling you, some of that is just beyond imagination. Well, I've had some experiences, and I'll share those in a minute, but I want to read you just, just a few things that churches have disagreed about over the years. You ready for this? You're going to love it. You're going to love it. One church had an argument over the appropriate length of the worship leader's beard. Now, what, what? Over the length of the beard, not that the fact that he had a beard, but the length of that beard. How about this one? How about a fight over whether to build a children's playground on the church or a cemetery? Okay, that was an argument. I love this one. There was a 45-minute argument over whether or not the church should purchase a file cabinet, whether it should be brown or black, have two, three, or four drawers. 45 minutes. Oh, goodness. How about this one? <laughs> a, fight, a fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. Like, did any of us know what he looked like? What does it matter? Okay, how about this? A dispute, a dispute over the over communion because cran grape juice was used instead of grape juice being used. Okay. How about an argument? <laughs> How about an argument over whether or not the church should allow deviled eggs at their potluck? Really? Really? We're gonna go there. Or this one. We don't want to call it a potluck anymore. We want to call it a pot blessing. Okay, and then one more, a dispute <laughs> over whether or not we should allow people to wear black to church because black is the devil's color. Now, you look at that and you go, what? I can't, that is, those are the things that cause disagreement. Yeah, they are, and there were more. I could go on and on and on. When I was in college, one of our professors had been a, a pastor previously to becoming uh, a professor at our, at our college. He said he had two board members that when they would disagree, they, they would say, well, let's step outside. We'll settle this in the parking lot. And whichever one survived the beatdown was the one who actually, I guess, won the day, I, I suppose. And then, then I was at a church, serving at a church, and we were seeing God do some really great things. I mean, the, the church was just blowing up. We had people coming. We had young families coming. It was, it was really a blast. It was a real cool move of God. Well, we needed more room in the nursery it, it, to serve the children's ministry. 
we were running out of room. It was just crazy. And so there was some space in the lobby that we could expand the nursery out to provide more for our children, right? But what it was going to do, it was going to remove the coat rack. Well, one of the members of our board simply said, oh, we can't do that because then people aren't going to have any place to hang their coats. And that was a disagreement within the board. You know, no wonder, you, you look at some of this stuff and you say, well, no wonder joy has gone bye-bye in people's lives because we're disagreeing over stuff like this. It's just extraordinary. Now, honestly, there's always going to be disagreements, whether in the church or in our families. That's, that's kind of the way of the world. I understand that. But it's what we do next with them. It's what we do when we're in the middle of them, and it's what we do when, when, when we walk through them that really makes the difference. You see, what we do next will either crush our desire to do all things, church, and I would say as a residual part of that, destroy our joy, or it will cause us to lean into our faith in ever-increasing intensity, what we do with it. How we deal, how we deal with disagreements, how we continue to maintain our unity within the church. So today we're going to talk about unity. Here, here's, here's what I want you to catch. I want you to know this very carefully, right from the very beginning. Unity will preserve our joy regardless. It really will. Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter number 4. So look at it with me if you would. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse number 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and Sintaishi to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Father, thank you for your word. Speak life to us in Jesus' name. Amen. The church in Philippi, there are two ladies, Yodia and Satishi. And Paul just says it this way, they're not of the same mind. Now, you can kind of roll that out and figure out where this is going. Something has caused these two to just kind of do this. There's a little tension going on. And Paul, Paul is just masterful in how he helps them navigate this disagreement. And imagine, and I want you to just kind of put this in, into, into your thinking for a minute. Imagine, if you will, you come to church on a Sunday morning to Crossroads Church, knowing that a letter is going to be read from someone you really respect and love. You can't wait to hear it. In fact, you've invited your friends, you've invited your family. And so you come to church, and the pastor gets up and he begins to read the letter, and man, you are in it. You are with it. This is good. You're amening. You got it all going on. This is, oh, this is good. And then, boom, he calls out your name and one of your friends' names and says, I wish they were of the same mind. I want to tell you something. 
there's this collective gasp. But what is so fascinating is that Paul does this, but he, he just, he's simply addressing this de- disagreement. And it, 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 what it does, it really amps up the importance of unity. That's what it does. He's saying this is important. This isn't something that can just be dismissed. It reinforces the, the importance of unity in the church. And I would suggest as well, it helps preserve the joy that needs to characterize our lives and within our churches. And honestly, it preserves the joy in the middle of, of any and every challenge by remaining, hear this, by remaining focused on what is and what is not right priority. You notice all the stuff that we talked about a little bit ago? 45 minutes over a file cabinet? That's what's going to create disunity? No. Helps us focus on what is right and not right priority. Scripture is filled. Scripture is filled with, with the this topic of unity. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to do this quite quickly. I don't like to read Scripture fast, but I'm going to do it just for the sake of time. Because I want to walk through a number of verses. And you're, and if you're joining us online, which you are joining us online, duh, go to you version, and you'll have all of these verses there for you, along with some opportunities for you to put notes in and the like. But I want to walk through these quickly. But listen to what Scripture says about unity. Second Chronicles 30, verse 12. In Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind. Psalm 133.1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. John 17.23, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Acts 4.32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Romans 12.6, live in harmony with one another. Romans 15, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other and that Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there is no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. 1 Corinthians 12, just as a body, though one is many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ, for we are all baptized into one spirit, best to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Be of one mind, live in peace. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Ephesians 4 verses 3 through 6, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all in all. Philippians 2.2, 2, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one and of one mind. In 1 Peter 3.8, finally, all of you, 
be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and be humble. There it is. Unity is critical. And here's the phrase, keep this in mind, unity is key to our joy regardless. When we are out of, when we're out of sync, when we're not in unity, when we're disagreeing, I'm going to guarantee you something. Joy is not what we are experiencing. We're experiencing everything but joy. Unity is key to joy regardless. So I want to take just a few minutes and talk about two things of what Paul does in this, in this arena of disagreement between these two ladies. The first one is this. Disunity is addressed with genuine affection. This is really important. Paul understood the power of unity and the peril of disunity. He saw it firsthand. He knew what it was. He knew how important it was. In fact, I believe he also knew this. If we descend, if we descend into disunity, we hand Satan a victory. There is nothing that the enemy of our soul would want more than for us to be divided, to be constantly in disagreement, regardless of what it is. Now, I'm not talking about doctrinal things. That's a, that's a whole different subject, and we can talk, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But hear this carefully. It is so easy for us to get wrapped up in unimportant things that can cause division. Whether or not we have a coat rack for the coats instead of providing a place for our children. What? Paul knew we hand Satan a victory when we are in disunity. So he addresses it. He doesn't hold back and he even calls out these two ladies. He knew how destructive it was. But he does it in a way that I think helps us find a pathway when disunity, when disagreements happen, whether it's in the church, whether it's in our family, wherever we may experience it. Here's the, here are some things that I think help us. The first is this, cultivate relationships. I have a friend, a dear friend, over, golly, I guess 30 years now. He uses a phrase that I absolutely love. And he's in, a, he's in an organization where he is is working very diligently to promote this organization and all that they're doing around the world. But he would say this. He said the, his first goal and role is this, is to be a friend raiser. A friend raiser. Now, I've known him for 30 plus years. And I will tell you, that's exactly what he does. He raises up friendships. He cultivates relationships. And that's what Paul did. Paul cultivated relationships. And how do we know that? Well, when you look at what he writes about those in Philippi, he talks about them like this. Whom I love, whom I long for, you're my joy, you're my crown. What is he saying? He loves these folks. But that's not something that just happened overnight. That's something he built. That's something he cultivated. They share the same mutual love for him as he does for them. And I will tell you something. Over the years, I've had to have my share of difficult conversations. I've had to deal with disagreements and disunity. But I'll tell you something, too. The deeper my relationship with the person, the easier the conversation. When 
And I've had to have conversations with individuals I didn't know well. And I'll tell you, that's hard. But when you have a deep relationship with them, it, it's, much, it's much easier to have maybe the more difficult conversations. So build those relationships. Cultivate them. When you have a few minutes, I want to encourage you to read Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. It is, a, it is a wonderful testament to how Paul had developed and cultivated relationships. Romans 16, you'll see 26 different people mentioned by name. 26, where Paul is saying, you've done this, you've been here, I appreciate Incredible. Why is he doing that? He's cultivated relationships with them. But not only will you see 26 people who are called out specifically by name, You'll also see the church that meets at their house. You will, you will see two mentions of households, one mention of brothers, and another mention of all the saints. Relationships. Cultivate them. The second thing is that Paul showed respect. Respect. You know what is interesting here as you read this bit of disagreement? They're not of the same mind, right? But Paul says something very significant. He says, these are women who have contended at my side. That's respect. He honors their service to the kingdom of God and to the church at Philippi. There's something to be said about honoring people and respecting them. And even when we have to have hard conversations, when we're talking about unity, because we see joy eroding, we see the the, the possible spin out of this where things can go so wrong, so bad, so fast, you know, to show respect and honor. Paul does it masterfully as we should. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 10 says, love one another warmly as Christians. I love this. And be eager to show respect to one another. The third is to be truthful truthful. Paul uses a word plead. Plead. The word plead actually is not particularly necessary to that sentence. But what it does, it shows, I guess you could say, an even-handedness. Well, Paul's not taking sides. He's not saying, well, Yudi is right and Sintaishi, she's wrong. No, he's not saying that. He says, I plead with you. That's really significant. He's, Paul's not, you know what's really fascinating about this? Is that Paul doesn't focus on, we don't know what the disagreement's about. It's a better way of saying it. We don't know what it's about. It could have been about anything. It wasn't about that, which makes it very applicable to everything or anything that might cause disagreement or, or, or difficulty in our particular context, our particular lives. But what is important to know is that when he uses the word plead, it's not a casual request, it's a forceful one. He's saying, get this done. I plead with you. He's speaking the truth. He's speaking the truth. By calling them out by name, that, whether that was difficult, I'm sure it, it was probably pretty difficult for Yodia and, and Sintaishi to hear this. But I have a feeling it got the job done too. And we'll see that in a minute. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He said, instead we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Isn't that powerful? 
Speaking the truth in love, what does it do? It helps us grow ever more in Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. We will on occasion have to address issues of disunity, but it can, all, it can and should always be done truthfully, truthfully and with genuine affection. Joy then is sustained through that. The fourth thing is that Paul included partners. This is really significant. Philippians 4.3, this is what we read. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. It is, that is so profound. There's nothing like partnership. There's nothing like walking together with, 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 with friends, with people, with co-workers. In fact, in the original language of the New Testament, this word or phrase, two words, true companion, it's also translated in other translations as yoke fellow. That word, you ready for this, is also syzygous, which very possibly was a person in the church in Philippi, a leader. So when he says, my true companion, my true yoke fellow, he's actually saying, Syzygous, come alongside these gals. Help them. But then he says, Clement, my co-workers, he just rolls it all out. Come on. This is, here, here's the, here, let me say it this way. Unity is a team sport. It's not done in isolation or, 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 or by oneself. It's a team sport. <laughs> I love this. Dwight L. Moody. He was a pastor of Moody Bible Institute. Well, there you go. I mean, not pastor. He, uh, great church in Chicago, and the formation of Moody Bible Institute is great teacher, great evangelist. This is what D.L. Moody said. He says, I have, <laughs> I have never yet known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. It just doesn't happen. Partnerships help bring unity into, into play. Disunity will cripple the church. Disunity will wound a family. It hurts relationships. And it strips our joy in every environment. But addressing it with genuine affection, as Paul does, will move us from disunity to unity and sustain our joy regardless. Second thing that Paul helps us in, in these disagreements and dealing with unity, is that unity is preserved, here it is, in the Lord, in the Lord. The American Psychological Association did a study a number of years ago on an orchestra, and I thought this was fascinating. So what they did is they asked different sections of the orchestra to talk about other people in other sections. Say, tell us what you think. Hey, you brass players, tell us what you think of the woodwinds. Hey, woodwinds, tell us what you think of percussion. Hey, percussion, tell us what you think of, you know, there you go. That's, that's how you set it up. Now, listen to this. This is hilarious. I think it's hilarious. And so I'm the only one in the room. Well, there's, the, our team is here, but I think it's hilarious, so I'm going to laugh about it. So there we go. There we go. Okay. They discovered that percussionists were seen as insensitive, unintelligent, and hard of hearing. That just killed me. When I read that, the hard of hearing, I went, well, okay, all right, that's fine. Listen to this. Yet they were fun-loving, okay? 
String players were seen as arrogant, stuffy, and unathletic. Then, then orchestra members then overwhelmingly chose the word loud as the primary adjective to describe brass players. Well, there you go. Woodwind players seem to be held in the highest esteem, described as quiet, meticulous, <laughs> though very egotistical. So here's the, here's the conclusion. So how in the world can an orchestra with all of these different personalities, all of these opinions, how can they come together and do what they do so masterfully? You know how it is? You know why and how? They subordinate themselves to the conductor. The conductor. They turn their attentions to the conductor. And a symphony is produced. They don't think about the personalities. They don't think about the, the silliness here and the silliness there. Of what they think. No. The conductor. You see, that's what's wrapped up in the idea in the lore. Unity is preserved in the lore. In the Lord. Twice, twice in these two verses we see the phrase, in the Lord. That's the key. Remember, no matter where and with whom, disagreements will happen. It's going to happen. But as Paul addresses the disagreements, he takes a social, what could be a social issue, and he makes it into a spiritual one. He takes it out, because we don't know what it is, but he says, regardless of what it is, he says, in the Lord, that's where the resolve is. You see, unity in the community of faith is preserved only in the Lord. John Walbert, John Walbert, great Bible teacher and writer, he said the only way it is possible to have one mind, excuse me, to have one mind is to have the mind of God derived from the unity, from the unity of the Spirit of God. Unity is only preserved in the Lord. That's, how, that's what Paul is saying. This past week I found a, found a book written in 1652. You say, wow, yeah, I know, almost 400 years old. The book was written by Thomas Brooks. Thomas Brooks was a Puritan. And Thomas Brooks was, he was quite a, he was quite a guy. A Puritan, and I'm not going to go into it, the, the Puritans and all, of the, all that they contributed to faith. But he wrote this book. Here's the title of it. You ready? Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. That is, that is a beautiful title. Now, I would like to have read the original book. I, I couldn't. It's written, I could, but it's written in Elizabethan English, which is a, that's an art in of itself. But I found an article that kind of brought it in, adapted some of his thought into more of a contemporary language for the 21st century. So what I did is I took a few of his thoughts and I adapted them even a little bit further. So what I want to do is I want to give you five things very quickly on how to preserve unity in the Lord. The first one is this. Find evidences of grace over sin. Find evidences of grace over sin. Acts chapter 11, verse 22 and 23. This is from the NIV, 
1984. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. Why is that significant? Because there were more than just Jewish believers in Antioch. There were Gentile believers. And there was some of this going on. Whether or not the Jewish believers would accept the Gentile believers and vice versa. There's so much here. I, I, guess, I guess you could say it this way. It would have been easy for the leaders of Jerusalem to be dismissive or I might use the word exclusive. Just another polite word for being racist as they approach the Gentiles. And so they sent Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. That was a brilliant move. Because he comes into this environment, and what does he do? He sees the evidence of grace. Now I wonder today, do we see the evidence of grace? When, when there's a disagreement or disunity, are we willing to look for the evidences of grace? We can see the grace of God if we're willing to look for it. We can, we can see the grace of God, but are we willing to do that to preserve unity? Unity is critical to the body of Christ. Unity is important for your family, between husband and wife, in your neighborhood, at your school, at your business. You say, how do I find grace? There's grace to be found. We're willing to look for it. The second thing is that we need to meditate on God's word regarding loving one another. Loving one another. John 13, 35, by this, Everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Think about it. Do we really love each other? Now, I'm going to talk for just a second to those who are Christ followers. And I'm going to ask you the question, do we love one another? Because if we do, we'll find a way to preserve unity. We have to come to grips with that. I think some of us wonder why I can't have joy. Do you truly love one another? Love covers over a multitude of sins, the scripture tells us. Do we love one another? Because a file cabinet, whether two, three, or four drawers, whether it's brown or black, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But we're so quick to jump on that. But then just come back, do we really love each other? Because then it it is important. Love will overwhelm that challenge. Love and disunity, love and disunity are not compatible. And love overwhelms disunity. Do we love one another? Number three, find and consider areas of agreement over disagreement. I don't know. I, I did a little bit of research, and I keep coming up with different numbers. So I, I'm not gonna. I choose not to use a number. There are, here's a word for you, oodles. There we go. There are oodles of different groups and denominations, faith groups. Hundreds, hundreds. Did you know that there's probably more upon which we agree than what we disagree? But we are very quick to focus on the disagreement rather than the agreement. Now, don't misunderstand me. 
there are true doctrinal errors in certain groups that we cannot we cannot agree with, will not agree with. I, I won't go there. We should not. We cannot. But there is so much that we agree on. I wonder if we could find those places of agreement and then deal with our disagreements in a, in a manner that honors God. Doesn't compromise our faith. Doesn't compromise what we believe. Doesn't compromise the core of our faith, of of Christianity. No, that's not what I'm talking about. We're not going to compromise. Never. But can we find places of agreement? You may be familiar with this little booklet called um, Our Daily Bread. M.R. DeHaan is the founder, the creator of that. We still have it. In fact, it's on our counter right now, Our Daily Bread, for this month. He, read, he made a rather humorous statement. Ready for this? We need not all agree, but if we disagree, let's not be disagreeable in our disagreements. And I'll add to it, and I couldn't agree more. Let's find areas where we can't agree. Philippians 1.18 says, The important thing, I love this, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. I want to agree on that. I know you do as well. The, the, the third is to be a peacemaker. Number four, excuse me, to be a peacemaker. There's something very special about a peacemaker. In fact, Jesus would say this in Matthew 5, the important thing is that in every, excuse me, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Wow. How many disagreements could be avoided and solved in the community of faith and in our homes, our neighborhoods, our businesses, if we took the posture of a peacemaker. Oh, that's for somebody else. No, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. He wasn't saying it's just this person or that. No, it's all of us. It's the character of Christ. It's the attitude that we should be. An attitude of that we should be. A beatitude. Matthew chapter 5. Number 5 is to pursue humility. Pursue humility. Being humble is incredibly important in preserving unity. Philippians chapter 3, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. When we look to the interest of others over our own interests, unity will be preserved. This, as we bring this, this portion of Philippians that concludes, these are the words we read. Whose names, whose names are in the book of life. That's really significant. In other words, these are Christ followers, believers, family, church. All people who will spend eternity together. As much as I disagreed with my brother and board member who said the coat rack is more important than the children, I'm going to spend eternity with them. So unity is absolutely critical to preserving, sustaining, deepening our joy regardless. Pray with me if you would. Thank you, Lord, for today. And thank you that we have been challenged by your word to live in unity 
thank you for Yodians and Taishi. And Lord, they become such a great model of just remembering that disagreements are going to happen, but there's a, there's a pathway forward that can preserve unity within our families, within our churches, and all of our environments. Thank you. We give you all the praise today and your goodness to us. We love you. We give you honor in Jesus' name.